0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Robbie Kilman baxter author of the best-selling book, The Membership Economy, and the newly launched, The Forever Transaction. In this episode, we talked about what a forever transaction is and how to implement it in your business, what influenced Robbie to write her books, and how SaaS businesses have changed their view on retention over time. We also discussed why Robbie thinks providing real value is key to cementing trust with your customers during a crisis – and if you're one of the few seeing an influx of new customers, how to make sure they're here to stay. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. they these don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit forming product? We crossed over that
1: magic threshold to negative churn. If
0: you need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement.
1: Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Robbie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Andrew.
0: It's a pleasure. It's it's amazing to have you on the show today. For the guests, uh, Robbie is a best-selling author of the Forever Transaction and the Membership Economy, uh, of which the Membership Economy, which was named one of the top ten marketing books of all time by by Book Authority. And in the past 10 years, her company, Peninsula Strategy, has advised over 100 organizations on subscription and growth strategy. Uh, I think it's also an exciting week for you as well, Robbie. this week with the launch of your new book. And I guess my first question for you then is, uh, what is a forever transaction? A
1: forever transaction is that moment when the customer decides that they're going to make your product or service a habit and they're not gonna look for alternatives. It's when they decide in their kind of in their gut that they're gonna keep paying the subscription.
0: And I guess this is gonna be a very, very broad question, but like, how do you know when you've got to that point? How do you know when your customer has created that habit and they're going to continue paying?
1: Yeah, so from, from the business side, if if you're tracking, I mean, there's, there's different ways, of course, to answer that. Um, on, on the customer side, um, you can you can start to see their behavior change. Uh, so, you know, you see them on board in a way that looks like they're taking your product seriously. Um, they're, you know, they're struggling to learn how to use it or maybe hopefully not struggling. Um, they're starting to engage uh, with, with uh, predictable recency, frequency, and depth as sort of three core metrics. Um, they verbally will tell you, this is how I'm getting that job done. Um, those are some of the signs that you have it. Um, but ultimately this is more, you know, when I think about the concept of a forever transaction, it's really about the company thinking about how to build a forever transaction as a guiding principle, um, as opposed to just focusing on their pricing, which I think of as a a tactic. Subscription pricing is just a tactic, but having a forever transaction with a person you serve, that requires a different kind of mindset.
0: Absolutely, I think for me personally as well in a subscription business, having that subscription uh, retain and forever transaction, like you say, is like a really true indication if you have a subscription business or not. Uh, If you don't have that forever transaction or that really strong retention, you're in for some trouble, I think, further down the line. Yeah, so the one thing, Robbie, that I'm interested uh, about is uh, what drove you as well to to write these books? What was it about the, the membership economy and the forever transaction that intrigued you and interested you?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, when I started consulting um, about 20 years ago uh, as an independent consultant and starting to build my firm, uh, I knew that I needed to have an area of focus. And um, I'd been a generalist strategy consultant, uh, and then I'd worked in product marketing for SaaS companies. And I took a couple of different projects, and then I started to work for Netflix. And I fell in love with their business model. I saw how they were using retention um, and engagement as the most important metrics, and how confident they were about um, their revenue. And how well they understood what drove success in their business and how different that was from any other company that I was aware of. And I actually started digging into it um, and trying to learn as much as I could about it. And I couldn't find any experts or any research that had been done on subscriptions, on recurring revenue, and particularly on recurring revenue in the software world. So... I just started doing it myself and starting to build out my own models. Um, as I was falling in love with the Netflix model, everybody else was too. And I started getting company, uh, calls from different kinds of companies uh, in, in, in B2B software and consumer software, in entertainment, in you know, really weird things like dental pain management and uh, bicycle manufacturing, all saying, hey, we want to be the Netflix of our space. We want to do what they're doing. Um, And, you know, it's a meaty, as you know, Andrew, it is a meaty and interesting and complicated subject. So it's really kind of attracted and retained my interest over all these years.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that. Actually, this past week, I was watching on YouTube uh, the story about Netflix's data team. Um, And uh, I think definitely, like you say, that that focus on retention engagement is really, really strong as an organization. Uh it's funny that they actually the show itself, they, it's on YouTube, but they take it, it almost comes across as like a Netflix production, which I love. Uh, <laughs> but they talk through all the different data elements. And uh, I think for me as well, like working in subscription and SaaS businesses, the, the thing that I love the most and that intrigues me the most is that like predictability of it. At some point, you can understand, okay, to some level of certainty, how the business is going to perform. It's definitely for me as well something that uh, it sparked my interest and in, uh, with the topic of churn and retention that being one of the biggest drivers of being able to predict that um. so like going into it then you know, you, you caught the spark and uh, it was at netflix you sort of uh, fell in love with the space what is something you mentioned as well like at the same time like a lot of other businesses wanted to be the netflix of the time What is one thing that you've sort of seen change over time from that point in time till today, since you've been writing the books and the understanding in the market? Like, is there any big shift that you've noticed amongst these companies when it comes to their understanding or their focus around retention?
1: Oh, yeah. There's so so much has changed. So, So first of all, you know, I started working with Netflix. Then I was working with, you know, I was working with a bunch of other companies, um, And, you know, SurveyMonkey and Intuit and LinkedIn and all these other. And I was really, really interested in um, the similarities and what made some companies successful and what made others not successful. And I started to develop this framework and I'd go to SaaS companies and I'd say, look, it's about more than just your pricing. You have to think about the implications on your support, on how you design the product, on how you sell it, who you sell it to, because if you sell it to the wrong people, or you don't set the expectations properly, or you don't onboard them properly, you're not going to retain them. And then the business is going to fail. You've got to look at it as a holistic system. And people didn't seem to get it. Uh, And that's actually why I wrote the membership economy. It was like a one pound business card to explain that I had this point of view. I saw the world this way. And the principles were, you know, the same across lots of different industries. And they resulted in that holy grail for businesses which is predictable recurring revenue which is what we all want right it allows us to manage cash flow it allows us to invest more thoughtfully in future products um, it allows us to get a you know as you, you pointed out it allows you to get a better valuation um, in the in the public markets right somewhere between 5x and 7x uh, what uh, more traditional business models get lots of reasons that companies want it um, And I wanted to show how, how they could do it better. Um, And then, you know, so that was, you know, that book came out five years ago, five years later, everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's doing subscription. There are lots of subscription, you know, quote experts out there. There's lots of subscription tools and, and vendors who provide supporting, you know, platforms for these businesses. And virtually every company, not just in software, but every company from, you know, Caterpillar, heavy equipment, um, you know, consumer products, financial services, everybody is thinking this way. They're thinking about subscriptions. They're thinking about churn. Some of them are more sophisticated than others, but they're trying, they've kind of moved from, huh, like, what is this? to how. How do I actually do this? How do I get into the weeds and optimize my model for recurring revenue?
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree that that shift has happened. I think the one thing though still is we haven't broken through that shift with the understanding of the how, like you say. So it's uh, one of the the main frustrations I had when I started the show was like these blog posts that really focused on one specific point in time or a number that was discovered or and are very misleading and you mentioned something in terms of like a whole holistic uh, program and holistic model which do only, doesn't only cover your product but looks at things like your pricing support uh, and, and different aspects of the business because i think churn retention is such a nuanced problem and uh, it, it really needs to be covered from different angles so i think the next question then i have for you as well is like thinking about yeah, the model that you've got around the forever transaction for your customers, like, how would you go about building one?
1: Yeah, well, it depends if you're starting from scratch or if you have a going concern and you're trying to optimize. So, you know, I divided my this book, which is very how-to, into three parts. The first part is for organizations that are just getting started, or organizations, let's say, that have more of a, um, you know, more of a um, licensing kind of site licensing uh, enterprise model as opposed to a SaaS model that are moving to SaaS, um, that's the first section. Second section talks about how to scale once you've figured it out, once you have a little kernel of proof and evidence that this works. And then the last section is for long time businesses, SaaS businesses that are natives that have grown, how do you, what are the areas that can go wrong um, with, your, with your forever transaction? How can you get off the rails? And you know, at each stage, it sort of starts with the promise you're making to your customer, Um, What is it that justifies their engagement with you? Why would they trust you forever to solve their problem or help them achieve their goal? And so you have to demonstrate as an organization that everything you do across all of your functional areas is aligned toward that customer's goal and their achievement of that goal. So it goes, you know, we've all had experiences where we've bought software or, or, or subscribed to software and then had this feeling like I'm not really using this the way it's supposed to be used. I'm sure other people are using it better and getting more value out of it, but I just use these two features. Um, When people aren't getting the value they're paying for, they're likely to cancel. Um, When people are getting some of the value, but there's other problems that have nothing to do with the software that are holding them back from being successful, they cancel. So the onus is really on the company to say, what else can we do? How can we layer in value? so that our customers never leave. And so, you know, some of the examples I've seen that I think are really good, one is of course Salesforce, not only do they have the great software and they have, you know, the kind of community for their, their, their apps, but they also have a lot, you know, human community. Um, you know, they have their, their Dreamforce event, they have a lot of smaller events. They bring people together under their umbrella to help those people be successful in their careers not just to get their job done, but also to look good, get promoted, be more successful, build their brand, um, which is much broader definition of helping your customers be successful than just, I have this product, and if they use the product, then my job is done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that concept of really focusing on what value your product delivers and then seeing what you can do over and above that to really deliver extra additional value is what's going to win like your customers hearts and minds I think at the end of the day is that uh, you mentioned a couple of things as well like a lot of people come to a specific tool to solve a problem and uh, in some cases you mentioned like you might only be using a percentage of the features on a tool that can also be a reason and no matter how much value you're getting out of that if you're not using the full extent of the tool uh, you could end up churning it as a result and Uh, Some companies do it really, really well as well when they have this whole holistic approach to understanding what value means for companies and being able to measure and track that and then being able to then go ahead and sort of make sure that they're delivering above and beyond. Um, So one thing like I'm interested as well now and this concept of the forever transaction, obviously, Today's uh, climate and environment is a little bit different and a little bit uncertain, and I think a lot of companies now are facing these challenging conversations with their customers, where churn uh, becomes a big issue. So, my what I'm interested in is like, what could companies do at this point in time to foster and maybe cement trust with uh, their customers during a crisis?
1: Yeah, so we're we're talking um, in spring of 2020 when uh, you know this this global pandemic is is really throwing a lot of businesses for a loop. The first thing I'll say is I, I saw some kind of heartening uh, data today from Zuora um, that uh, only 11% of subscription businesses, you know, they have that, their, you know, regular reporting that they do. Um, only 11% of their clients of, of, of subscription businesses reporting in um, are reporting a decline in members in in, in customers. So the net is either positive or neutral. So subscription businesses in general are holding their own much better than transactionally oriented businesses. Um, And then to answer your question about what else could they do right now to, to deepen the relationship and further cement them, I would say, you know, first of all, Hopefully they were focusing on the customer well-being all along, because if you have been, then you have a lot of goodwill already saved up. Um, if you haven't, now is the time, I think, to loosen your paywalls or or to explore loosening your paywalls, um, thinking more about what can be free, whether, whether you're a business that uses a free trial, um, which I always think of as a taste of the most delicious thing you have so that they either... You know, either because the prospect doesn't understand what it tastes like or um, doesn't believe it's as good as you said. So you say, here's a taste and now you can understand and believe. Or if you're using a freemium model, um, which is basically, you know, something hamburger free forever, not the most delicious thing, but it's good enough to get the job done on an ongoing basis. This is a time to maybe extend that a little bit. Um, and also to maybe extend or pivot on the way you're packaging your value for your customers. So so as an example, um, if some of your content is delivered in person and you can't do that, what can you do now? Or if you know that all the customers in your space are dealing with certain challenges, maybe that don't even have to do with your particular product, um, can you, let's say, bring in speakers or expertise or share information with them In some way that that shows that you understand what they're going through and can help them in whatever way, in whatever way you have to help them. So it's really about extending and and repackaging the value that you provide to your members. So extending and repackaging. um, It's about communicating to them what you can do and how you can help, um, and being more flexible about what that might mean. And it's about being a little more generous in how you serve. You know, prospective customers um, and the broader community as a whole. So, so one example of that, of course, um, although they're they're getting pummeled a little bit right now, is Zoom that has you know really unlocked their their software to universe to 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 educators. Um, not necessarily. Maybe part of it is about acquisition eventually, but but really, it does seem to be genuinely about using what they have to help the community, and I think. First of all, that's good karma. But second of all, um, that builds goodwill among their existing subscribers that are paying and um, kind of gives them a, a brand glow as well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you gave an example and Zoom obviously being one of those ones. Uh, I think because one of the things I think that's been for me like lately uh, interesting and also maybe a little bit comes across this in genuine is where the number of people now that have all of a sudden become remote experts and mm-hmm. trying to produce content for others to understand how they should be remote business when pretty much I think at this point in time nobody is really experiencing what remote work is. Like this is work in isolation. So first of all, like the the tips and advice that people are th- like flowing on and fitting on to people, like trying to add value, I think are not really helping. But really when you focus and you say, okay, internally as a company, what do we have that we can deliver to our customers at this time that is actually valuable? I think that's a really good conversation to have and, uh, and understand. Okay, like let's not just do the generic thing that every company out there is trying to do and tackle onto a trend now, but rather, what is it that we do that can really add value to our customers at this point in this time of crisis? And, yeah. yeah.
1: What one example? I mean, there's there's so many examples now. One other one I wanted to just highlight is um, Intrepid Learning Systems. So it's a you know software platform for um, training programs. They're offering their both their platform and their professional services teams to design and implement trainings for frontline healthcare workers, right. um, and that's the kind of thing that is both, you know, it's 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 certainly good for the community, and it's also good for the you know existing paying members to see the the company kind of opening up and doing what they can to help right now. Um, The other thing that's kind of an an unseen or or unnoticed benefit, I I haven't seen anybody really writing about this, is that we're in a moment right now where people have to change their behaviors. Um, People who didn't like using software now have to use software. People who didn't like doing things digitally or remotely now have to. So this is a moment where there's, in, in many spaces, there's unprecedented trial right now yeah. where people are like, well, you know, I never wanted to do it this way before, but I have no choice. So whatever, I'm going to do online learning. I'm going to figure out how to use this software. I'm going to, you know, figure out how to join this digital community and participate because I'm so darn lonely. And so, you know, for a lot of organizations that may be listening to this right now, you may be experiencing a spike in in trial or in in new u- users or customers. Um, and The big question is, what are you going to do with them? How are you going to engage and retain them so that they stay after this crisis is over? Uh, You have this moment where people are willing to try new behaviors, and maybe they're experimenting with your offerings. And the question is, how do you onboard them for success?
0: Absolutely, I think this. I heard a question that was phrased the other night on a really good webinar put together by Reforged team, Uh, and the question was like, for a lot of companies, I think there is opportunity in this. If you just ask yourself the question, is obviously um, things are not great uh, for majority of businesses, but asking yourself one question, like, what does this change now accelerate for you or your business or your customers? And I think like uh, Slack was a good example in terms of like they felt that this accelerated the remote uh, environments like 10x, and they were seeing numbers now that they were only predicting in seven or eight years time from now. Um, and there's a lot of different cases like you say now where uh, this has changed users' behavior and and it's accelerating parts of maybe your business plan of what you thought was only going to be a future viewpoint. We're getting like a, a different vantage point now having this. Uh, this really disruptive environment for us.
1: Yeah, like for example, if you have if your clients are, I was just thinking about this because I talked to a, um, a retailer yesterday, a big a, a bit a big retailer that has multiple chains, and they said, you know, all of our you know customers tend to be people who like to go into the store and touch the produce, or you know, they own home they own like a, a home improvement chain and a supermarket chain and a quick serve chain, and they said, you know, most of our stuff's been in person, but suddenly. We have you know ten x the number of orders that we had even two weeks ago. So if you're providing the software, if you're providing the support for that company's um, e-commerce initiatives, that company can really use help right now and they have budget, right? they're They're growing. So yeah. I think your point about you know figure out what this what this can do for you is really important. And, and looking for where behavior is changing and how your business can help. Um, and then, you know, I think, you know, this is a show about, about managing churn. I think, you know, easy come, easy go. So if you have a lot of new, new customers coming in, new subscribers, new users, whatever kind of level of, of usage you're getting, you have to be thinking not just about managing the inflow, but also what do you how do, you do with them? them to actually get them to stick.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe what people are experiencing now as well is a really rapid um, movement through the user cycle. So like a lot of companies might've still been dealing with early adopters or early majority. And now this is like really caused an influx of maybe like the later majority uh, coming in. And like, as you say, like easy come, easy go. So this is also a different audience. They have different expectations of what, how products should work and feel and uh managing through this i think we've discussed this a couple of times on the show where companies have gone through this transition from like early to late majority and had this mass uh, growth and rapid growth and really seen that impacting churn retention because the requirements are different and uh, what people expect from your product are different at times uh, so i'm glad you mentioned that as well um so i, I think definitely like one thing now as well that's interesting with this whole um situation is that, like we talked about, there's opportunity in it and there's a a crisis now where people are really trying to figure out what's next. Um, Can you maybe point to another example of a company that you think is doing really well uh, when it comes to this? So we talked about Intrepid and uh, you highlighted potentially maybe delivery groceries, but any other industries you think uh, at this point in time are doing a great job with handling the crisis?
1: Yeah, well, another company, um, I actually just talked to, to to Mark Ganey yesterday, who's the C- uh, CEO and chairman of um, Strava. Do um, okay. you know Dino Strava, the, the company for um, endurance athletes? Yep. Um, so they have this awesome app that helps you track your own workouts, but also train for events and also compete, you know, compete in quotes with your friends, sort of set up challenges. And they've been around for a while. They've been quite successful. Um, but what's happening is, our behavior around fitness has completely changed um, almost overnight, right? We can't go to gyms anymore. Uh, We can't do group fitness. We can't go, you know, work out with our soccer teams. Uh, So we're looking for a way to stay in shape. And so a lot of plus that, plus the fact that for many of us, depending on where we are in the world, you know, getting outside for exercise is one of the very few sanctioned (laughs) reasons to be outside. So people are running and cycling more than ever, So they're seeing a real spike in both engagement um, among existing members, uh, trial among new members and returns among lapsed members. And as an organization, they're really thinking about how do we onboard these people and how do we engage them in a way that makes it easy for them to continue to maintain these good habits around fitness.
0: Yeah. Very, very interesting. You mentioned that as well. Like I was surprised uh, my wife goes to a gym locally. And um, I think one of the ways that just the local gym is trying to deal with retention is they've now gone online. So they do a Facebook live uh, daily exercise routine. And I thought that was just like a really great way to be thinking about your customers at this point in time, because obviously uh, gyms have been closed now locally. It could have been very easy for him just to say, okay, gyms are closed. They're paying subscriptions and we're done. But Really going above and above, and making sure that they still have their continuation, still keeping their community going, and finding a way to do it online. Uh, I think was a really, really smart play. Uh, interesting. Yeah, you
1: know, um, it's interesting. Fitness. You know, both Netflix. You know, which we talked about earlier in, in the entertainment world, and fitness. Those are two areas that also have membership mindsets, um, yes. and I think that SaaS companies can take a page from that book in terms of the kind of real, authentic, deep relationships that are built there. Um, you gave a great example about your your, your wife's fitness program. Um, another example is CrossFit, uh, you know, the global franchise organization. Um, I've been talking to a lot of different CrossFit studio owners, and um, many of them are reporting that over 90% of their members are continuing to voluntarily pay their subscription their membership fees, even though the box, the gym is closed. Um, Sometimes there's an online, you know, they do online workouts on, on, you know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or what have you. Um, Sometimes they're just doing it because they say, this is important to me and I don't want it to go out of business because this is part of who I am and how I achieve my goals. So imagine what it would take to have that kind of relationship with your, with your customers.
0: Absolutely. They, you know, they
1: depend on you so much and that you're so core to their success.
0: Yeah, I think like you're talking to like a couple of like basic human needs and like the one is entertainment, the other one is health and wellness. Uh, and I think trying to figure out like with your business, like what is one of the basic human needs you can meet and hit with your customers. And you talked a little bit about earlier, like, going above and beyond and how you can make your customers superstars and like your product sort of giving them superpowers at the end of the day, like wherever you can go out of your way to meet one of the basic human needs, and maybe that's recognition in the work environment or in a case like Strava or a thing is meeting like a health or, or wellness need is really, really critical. I think maybe in that mindset of, okay, this is something I want to be using for life because it really is solving one of my basic needs uh, as a human being as well. Um, The the one question I wanted to ask you, and it's something I ask every guest that joins the show, is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that um, you've joined a new company and you probably have done this many times as a consultant, but you've joined a new company and uh, churn and retention is not doing great at this company. And you've been asked by the CEO to try and turn things around for them. They're trying to get results fast, and uh, they've given you ninety days to try and uh, turn things around and at least show some progress. What would you want to be doing in those first ninety days within that business to try and make an impact?
1: So the first thing I would want to do is to understand what the biggest culprit is in the churn problem, um, and I often look at it as you know kind of look at three parts. Um, there's um, an awareness. What, See, there's, I look at it in, in, in three parts. So the first problem is an awareness problem. That is the wrong people are aware of of what it is. So they're coming in and then they're leaving because it's not what they had hoped for. Um, second issue is um, that they misunderstood the value. Um, and the third issue is that you have a product problem. And um, so... Depending on which issue it is and where it is in the cycle and why they're canceling, um, you want you can go and focus in on the very specific area um, to fix it. So I guess the first thing that I would do is I would want to do a diagnostic and understand the entire process and all of the reasons for canceling. Um, I always remove the reason of we don't have budget anymore as a reason for canceling. That's not an acceptable reason. Um, I would look at, you know, passive churn versus active churn. So passive churn is, you know, if the the payment systems changed in some way or leadership changed and somebody kind of broke the broke the connection um not intentionally, but just by lack of lack of engagement um, versus active churn, which is if somebody said, Hey, we want to cancel right now. And then I'd look at. What are the reasons that they left? Were they the wrong people in the first place? So some like I had an example where, um, you know, the salespeople were making sales to customers that weren't likely to get great value from the product. So they were were selling a bill of goods that they weren't really delivering on. So that's a selling problem. That's not a product problem. Um, There's other cases where the salespeople are selling exactly what the product's supposed to do, but the product isn't working as promised. Um, So that might be a product problem. Uh, so it's really important. I, I can tell you a funny story. I, I worked with a, um, an entertainment company uh, and they, ha- they, they brought me and they said, we have, we have a churn problem. Can you help us? And they were about, they had a team that was kind of retention customer success. And they were about to fire that team because they said, you know, our retention is so bad. We must have a terrible retention team. And we brought in, I wanted to bring, I said, let's bring in the product people, let's bring in the sales people, let's bring in the marketing people, let's bring in the support people, let's figure this out. And what we learned, or a couple things we learned. One of them was that their marketing campaigns all focused on a single live event that they did once a year. It was a national championship sports event and they had a two week free trial. So, <laughs> so when this event happened, right, everybody signed up for the two week free trial and then they canceled in the first month right so that's not a retention problem that's a marketing problem like they were marketing the wrong thing they weren't marketing the long-term value of being a member they were marketing do this do that one transaction and then of course they shouldn't have been surprised that people left um and the other thing was that the supporting infrastructure for the streaming didn't work very well so when you were watching these live events um you, you know, it would, it would conk out on you and you would have these big breaks where you'd miss important, you know, important content. So that's not a retention problem either. That's a product problem. So, you know, one of the things we realized was that the issues weren't what the company, the company had jumped to the conclusion that because they have a team called retention and they were having a problem called retention, that it must be the retention team's fault. Um, And it's rarely the retention team's fault. Uh, More often, you know, you want to look at how it's being sold, how it's being marketed, how people are being onboarded for engagement, um, and whether, you know, the product does what it's supposed to do um, for the people that it's supposed to do it for, product market fit.
0: Exactly. That's why I think like the concept of a retention team as well is not a good idea in general because of all the different influences you mentioned that are outside of their control. And if at the end of the day, you're keeping one team, like a lot of times it might be customer success and saying that you're responsible for retention. There's just so many other areas, like you mentioned sales. I think that's something we chatted with Steli Efti on the show about as well, that if you're not in incentivizing your sales team to be focused on long-term retention goals as well, then you're always going to get into short-term results. So like a good way as well to combat that is, having like maybe the compensation aligned with 50% up front and 50% when the customer retains for longer than three months. But uh, I think what you're saying as well, like it's really important to understand that there's just so many influences and uh, really starting from the very beginning. Is it that awareness? Like, are you selling the wrong thing? Does your product not deliver? Um, just going through the motions and really trying to figure out what it is. Uh, this thing. I like how you, stop re- you started really at the top of the funnel and saying, okay, like, is it that initial awareness? Are we bringing in the wrong type of customers? Are we selling the wrong thing? Is there miscommunication in what we're selling and what the product delivers? And then is there something we can do to fix a product? I think it's definitely uh, the right way to be thinking about it and starting top down. But,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, it's really everybody's. I mean, as you brought up at the beginning of the of the conversation, it's really churn is everybody's problem. It's a very complicated and um you know, broad-based problem. The good news is that by focusing bit by bit on each step input. of the process and each functional area, you can kind of move the lever on retention in a really visible and meaningful way, um, which makes it a really fun fun problem to solve.
0: Absolutely. I think the best teams out there, they understand what the various inputs are, and then they have their individual teams within the organization own an input instead of owning the output, which is churn um and really by focusing on that input and making improvements to the input uh, at the end of the day you see that reflecting in in the numbers and uh, an increase well uh, it's been it's been a pleasure having you today robbie i think um for the guests for the listeners is there any last sort of input that you want to give how can they keep up to speed with your work obviously your book being launched this week uh, any special news that you want to share with us before we end today
1: Um, Yeah, they can reach me at robbykelmanbaxter.com. I'm pretty easy to find uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, on Instagram.
0: Awesome. Uh, Well, it's been a pleasure having you today. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. I wish you best of luck now with the book launch and uh, good luck in the future.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Andrew. It's been really fun talking to you.
0: Thank you.